Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Offside Rule. We get it. Brought to you by a Wolves fan, a Manchester United fan and a Liverpool fan. Hello and welcome to episode 36 of the Offside Rule. We get it, fast approaching the end of the season, but a few more weeks to go. But we've already had one that's fallen near near the final hurdle. Uh, she's not very well, Kate Borsay, is she, Hayley? Oh, she's taken a hit of the nasty summer cold and she's currently in bed listening to us instead of being here. So it's just myself and Hayley instead, but we'll keep you entertained. And we've got something new on the way later as well. We've got a Women's Super League roundup, um, courtesy of Sue Smith who's going to update us on what's been going on to the start of the women's season. Uh, we'll have that later. Also, we'll have a foreign roundup from Kate Partridge. He's going to talk about Bundesliga and Bayern Munich. Big game this week and big awards as well, Hayley. You were at the PFA uh, Player of the Year Awards. I was. It was a very good glitzy evening. Drinks were flowing. Had a really good fun whilst obviously watching all the highlights of the season so far. And great to see a team of the year for the women, as well as the women's player of the year, a young player, as well as the men's as well. And what a difference a year makes. Hey, Luis Suarez collecting the main award. Who'd have thought? Well, that is going to take us on very nicely to our first topic for this week, which is final warnings. But yeah, let's just round that up because a year ago he was... In the press for all the wrong reasons, the biting incident, the Liverpool Football Club had to come out and really support him publicly. There were all the T-shirts, weren't there, and everything. And then in one whole 12 months, he's managed to turn it around in the fact that Liverpool are now title contenders and he's got player of the year voted for by other footballers, which is the, the key part of that. And missed key games at the very beginning of the season as well. Who'd have thought he'd be, you know, leading all of the the races for goals scored and you've got his assists, he's right up there as well, as well as getting this award, considering he didn't even start beginning of the season and in fact he he didn't even start it with half the country behind him there was only kind of his Liverpool teammates and his manager and that was about it and a few of the fans yeah well I'm sure that he was on a final warning at one point um but one of our favorites the offside rule favorites Mario Balotelli he's at risk of missing out on going to the World Cup entirely at the moment um Italy head coach Cesar Prandelli has issued Mario with a final warning uh, it's all regarding his conduct I don't know whether you saw this Hayley but he argued with pundits on Italian TV after AC Milan's defeat to Roma, but he was very vocal about it and really out of order. I didn't see it. This is this is big news for me. Breaking news live right here. I wish I could do my best Jim White impression, but our impressionist isn't here, is she, Kate Borsay? Um, well, what, all I can tell you is I have a look on YouTube because it, it was very very funny. But with that in mind, it it was making me think about other players. So what I want you to do is give me two or a few more, whatever examples that you've got of football players who were on their last chance or maybe are on their last chance. It might be a success story. It could be a player who's completely ruined things with their career. Um, so we'll start with yours and then come back to me in a minute. Well, I'd like to start by just chatting about some of the players who have had a dodgy past and have managed to come out of it pretty well. When I say dodgy, I just mean they've, you know, they've they've been a little bit naughty. Luis Suarez, as we know, Eric Cantona, he is still a legend at Manchester United, despite that Kung Fu kick, despite being obviously banned for, for key games. Um, even things controversially, Ryan Giggs and, and situations with his personal life, and he's had to come out of that. And you do have to put that aside when you just look at them professionally and kind of distinguish between one person and another. But it would be nice to have a role model on our 
ran off the pitch like a Scott Parker type, if you know what I mean, and or a Michael Carrick. But these players have had past indiscretions and been forgiven by some people and have managed to get over it. Um, also as well, Joey Barton, he's almost turned his life around within the last decade. Who'd have thought he'd be this philosophical uh, person who was very strong about his political beliefs and about everything in the world. And now he's taken seriously he's learned his French hasn't he and a few other languages to boot so yeah you have a lot of these players and what about past players because you think nowadays in the modern game it's it's not just the vices of modern day society that cause the problems there have been problems with alcoholism depression anger issues and then the kind of sillier things which happen on the pitch but those are the real serious problems uh, which some players obviously need a lot more help from we see it in cricket at the moment as well with people um, suffering from stress unfortunately the situation with uh, Jonathan Trott and it has been going on for a really long time it's not just the money that suddenly changed these players there's obviously something within you inside um chemically that uh, kind of sets you away on a, on, a, on a rocky path george best one of the biggest tragedies of football and um, the fact that no amount of help or warning did the job to stop him from his life basically spiralling out of control and sadly we lost him just a a few years back but he was just one of the greatest footballers to have ever played that never reached his peak because of the problems he was in and I'd like to think that there were young players out there at the moment who maybe look at players like George Best and as an example of how not to do things. There's one player at the moment who just turned 21 in February Um, he started out at Manchester United you might know him, Ravel Morrison, he's an Arsenal fan but had the chance to play for Manchester United and kind of blew it. He was a troubled child. Um, just when you read his Wikipedia page, um, there's an awful lot about him on the internet about some of the problems that he's had. He was brought up by his grandparents. He grew up um, without the role model of a father and a parent figure, which you take for granted as well. And whilst he may be earning, you know, a hundred odd grand a week, he had a very troubled background. And when you look at his situation, he's a really talented uh, footballer, but he unfortunately back in 2011 had to pay cost and compensation after admitting counts of witness intimidation unfortunately um he was charged with assault. It was then dropped because his girlfriend didn't want to then testify. She was dragged into it. He allegedly threw a mobile phone out the window and caused all kinds of problems and he uh, you know, allegedly hit her as well. He just had behavioural issues, the kind of things that most young lads go through. But unfortunately, his stories made the press. Um, he'd controversially posted homophobic um, messages on Twitter. He was let off for that. He doesn't turn up for training. He's quite late for training. He does everything that the club tells him not to do. So Sir Alex Ferguson shipped him off to West Ham, to Big Sam, thinking, get away from Manchester, get away from all the problems and issues that he has there and away from the people that he surrounds himself with that were not the most desirable of people. Big Sam couldn't even deal with him. He then went off on loan to Birmingham. Birmingham didn't want to have to do anything with him. So now Harry Redknapp, Daddy Harry, is looking after him and making sure that he is A-OK. But it is quite a sad story about a player who... I'd like to think comes out of it at the other end as one of the best players we might ever see. He's so skillful. He's so talented. Um, But the lifestyle and the group of people that he was brought up with just wasn't helping. I know I'm rambling on, 
but it was just to basically say that he's been given a chance now. He's at QPR. He celebrated his 21st birthday in February. He got player of the month in March and hopefully things are looking up for him. If things have been any different, he might have been in that England squad. He's a skillful midfielder. and We kind of lack that at the moment. You're, we're losing Pulse Golzers and Stephen Gerrard's from the league. I'd like to think that Ravel Morrison um, is still in there. But a couple of things that uh, Big Sam said that were quite funny about Ravel Morrison. He was like... Um, you know, we, we did have problems with him, self-discipline, self-organisation. He goes, I'm going to compare him to other players in the past when we tried to help them out and put them through a programme. He said at Bolton, he said we had a programme. He said we had a similar problem with Ian Marshall. He used to turn up late and he was a bit naughty. He said um, we sent him home wearing a heart monitor to find out what he was doing and if he was using up too much energy outside of work and to monitor players' progress. They do this now. He said, I mean, the results were incredible. We tracked him for weeks. He was constantly racing around. No wonder he had no energy when he was in training. He then admitted he'd taken it off and put it on his dog. <laughs> yeah, that is right. It's a good job it was just a heart monitor and it didn't have pick up on sound or anything as he starts scratching himself or licking himself in the lounge. Um, I think that's hilarious that he put that on the dog. Um, I've gone for a player, actually, who's very much in the press at the moment and something similar to what you mentioned. It's players that are on final warning, after final warning, after final warning. It's like, when is the final, final, final warning? And I don't know when it's going to come for Swindon Town's Nile Ranger at the moment, but maybe it is fairly imminent. He's in trouble again. He's impressive. You didn't see this this week. Uh, the CCTV camera footage that's emerged appearing to show the striker aiming three punches at a woman before kicking through a secure door at a block of flats that he lives in. Um, it's the latest in so many different things that he's been um, he's been in trouble for. He's only 23 years old. Um, March earlier this year, he was cleared of a rape charge at Newcastle Crown Court. A month after being arrested in a nightclub um, on suspicion of breaching his bail conditions. So a bit of personal trouble there earlier on this year. He was also arrested on suspicion of causing criminal damage to a taxi in Liverpool. That was also this year. Nearly sat by Swindon Town in January after the chairman, Lee Power, confirmed that he was going to meet the player to discuss disrespect shown towards the club. And that was all to do with constant absence from training. I mean, you're a footballer. You've been given this opportunity. You're getting a good wage. OK, he's not a Premier League footballer at Swindon, but he would be on good money and look at all the boys that would dream of that and you're not turning up for training and they finish at lunchtime and get to go home and sit on the playstation all afternoon so. no I have no sympathy with that regard um, he's not played for the club since uh, Valentine's Day because of a hamstring injury um, and now the club are wondering well do we finally terminate his contract or do we stand by him one more time um, I'm not judge or jury and neither are you but you can as a listener make up your own mind about that but I just think when you're in that privilege position and you've got an opportunity don't throw it away certainly don't throw it away again and certainly don't throw it away for a third or fourth time hello everyone this is tony cotty from sky sports soccer saturday and when i'm not working with jeff stelling and the boys i'm listening to the offside rule podcast Women not know anything about football. You're having a laugh, aren't you? We'll move on to topic two, and our loving will continue for promotion sides. And this time, it's the turn 
of League Two. Now, I must say my apologies as well, because Faker Others will be on my back as a big Luton fan. I don't think we ever did Luton, did we? No, we didn't. But well done, Luton. (laughs) Well done, Luton. Maybe we'll revisit that at a later point. But there's a lot going on at the moment in the leagues. In particular, three teams from League Two all secured their promotion over the weekend. Um, So what we're going to do is we're going to have a quick love-in for three sides, Chesterfield, Rochdale and Scunthorpe United. Congratulations to all of them. Um, And we're sending you love from all of us ladies at the Offside Rule podcast. Um, Chesterfield's 2-0 win at Burton Albion. That earned them promotion at the weekend. Rochdale's win against Cheltenham, so Keith Hill's side also go up. And then Scunthorpe were promoted despite Russ Wilcox's record and beaten start to a managerial career being ended by Exeter City. Um, that was after Fleetwood drew at home to Southend. So I want some quick facts that we wouldn't otherwise know about these teams, starting with Chesterfield. Back in 1919, Chesterfield were involved in a scandal and the club was voted out of the Football League for a big deal. You know, these deals go on now between agents and clubs and managers and things could be a little underhand, perhaps, sometimes, maybe. Are we talking about a backhander? It was dubbed the Parsonage Affair. Parsonage, yes. Um, When Chesterfield tried to sign George Parsonage from Fulham, okay, they had a maximum amount of a player could receive as a signing-on fee was £10. Parsonage asked for a £50 signing-on fee and was reported to the FA, who in turn banned him from the game for life. And at the end of the season, Chesterfield were voted out of the Football League all over 40 quid. Oh, that 40 quid, though, it'd be like... Oh, four million now, wouldn't it? <laughs> Something like that. Um, I wanted to point out for Chesterfield um, their their good relationship with goalkeepers and producing great goalkeepers. Um, they have a fine tradition of it, um, either being born in the town or playing for the club. So a few names, uh, Gordon Banks, Bob Wilson, John Lukic. There you are. Three big names from goalkeeping and all credited to Chesterfield. Now, Rochdale. Rochdale and Hartlepool United. Here you have it. Jeff Stelling will be delighted. Both share the honour of having played the most seasons in the Football League without ever reaching the top division. The only side. So poor Rochdale. Um, They've played in 87 campaigns in the Football League. Both sides flying high in the league. Rochdale, obviously, uh, at the moment. Um, So they've always been pretty much safe, but they've never quite reached the higher echelons of the Football League. Just them and Hartlepool United. So Rochdale became the first team from the fourth tier that reached the League Cup final. Did you know that? They were also the only team to do so until 2013. So only recent years that that has actually been broken when Bradford City repeated the feat when they were thumped 5-0 by Swansea. Oh, I was there for that game as well. But brilliant. Lots of good friends in Bradford. The family is from Leeds. So there we have it. Um, on to our final one then, which is going to be Scunthorpe United. Now, I know a few Irons fans, they'll be ecstatic at the moment. Russ Wilcox, I alluded to his record as manager. What else have we found on Scunthorpe United? Well, you know, you mentioned goalkeepers yeah. at Chesterfield. Well, what about England captains? Scunthorpe has boasted three of them in their history. Uh, you've got Liverpool and England legends, Sir Kevin Keegan and Ray Clements, both uh, joined the Reds directly from the Iron. Ooh, so there you go. Um, and Ian Botham as well. There you go. He was an England captain and he was England captain at the same time as uh, Kevin Keegan, I do think. So that has been a, a good stat which comes out in quizzes about 
players who also play for Scunthorpe and Captain England. And you've got to throw Ian Botham in there. Excellent stuff. Um, I'm going to celebrate exactly what they've achieved this year. Now, we did mention about Russ, Russ Wilcox since he took charge. He's had a fantastic season, um, bar the Exeter City game, which sort of ruined everything. But they have broken so many records this season that I thought we should mention it. Um, let's. So they've had reportedly... Across the world, I think they had the best run of matches without defeat at the start of their manager's reign, pretty much going across the board. Um, Someone might want to come back and correct me on that, but I think so. Uh, They lost just five times this term. That's the fewer than any other club in the top five divisions of English football. The previous fewest number of losses in their 64-year league history was seven, and that was achieved when they won the League One title in 2007. So their 28-match unbeaten run, which came to an end on the day when their place in League One was also confirmed, the irony for the Irons, um, includes 14 draws. So that's why they're not top of the league because they have had a lot of draws. But the bottom line is that when their promotion rivals haven't played well, they've dropped points. Um, Scunthorpe United haven't done the same. They managed to pick up at least a point pretty much on on the road as well. Because of, of course, away from home, much more difficult, especially down the leagues. Um, so that unbeaten run is even more impressive, I think, by the fact that they'd only been behind in three of those matches. So every other game they scored first, apart from three, which was at Portsmouth, Accrington Stanley and Newport County. We have got Twitter Topic of the Week coming up, but it isn't in its usual place because we're going to introduce a new voice to the Offside Rule podcast now. Uh, Sue Smith, who plays for Doncaster Rovers, is going to be providing us with a Women's Super League roundup. Now, it got underway a couple of weeks ago. Have you managed to catch any of the women's football? I have. I've seen quite a bit of it. Quite a lot of it in highlights. You can actually see quite a bit online, which is good. And we're covering it on Sportswomen on Sky Sports News. But just really good to see all the girls dressed up. Normally you see them kind of muddy, just roughing it on the pitches, you know, up and down the country in the, in the WSL. So they were all dressed up, having fun, letting their hair down, having a few drinks and celebrating the achievements of last season and really kickstarting this season. Although a couple of them weren't there. I was supposed to be sat next to Steph Horton, but she couldn't make it because she had a game the next morning. I was like, oh, the one of the biggest nights when women are finally celebrated at the PFA Awards in a team of their own. She couldn't even make it. Oh, well, but it, good to see that they're invited to the same things now. And this is brilliant. Um, I, I'm loving being part of the FAWSL show, which is on BT Sport. We, we've been filming, so we've got, we had the preview show and show one went out. Um, although I got absolutely drenched. We went and did show one. Absolutely drunk. <laughs> no, no. Um, not when I'm filming. Um, <laughs> afterwards, maybe. Um, I actually went to Staines FC for the Chelsea-Liverpool game and it threw it down all day. I got so, so wet, but we managed to get the show together. But if anyone saw that, you can see that we look absolutely freezing (laughs) and we just managed to keep shelter in the stands for most of it. Um, But the two weeks now that we're into the the league and also there's some cup matches that have happened as well, it's great to hear from Sue and just running everything up in WSL 1 and she will also refer to WSL 2. So here she is for the very first time. Welcome to the Offside Rule podcast, Sue. Hi, everyone. I'm Sue Smith and I'm going to give you a review of the women's season so far. Okay, firstly, looking at the women's Super League, the first league, I think it's going to be the probably the most exciting and competitive yet. The results so far have, have shown this, the fact that Notts County, Chelsea and Liverpool are all four points and are sitting top of the table. So everybody's taking points off everybody. We're all looking at Manchester City, you know, the newbies in there and, and they've actually failed to pick up a point yet. 
and they are sitting bottom of the table. But I'm sure this is going to change. They've got a whole new squad and it's going to take time for, for those players to gel. And I'm sure they will. And I'm sure as the, the season progresses, they're going to obviously start picking up those points. Just like to say congratulations to Birmingham um, for reaching the semi-final of the Champions League, which has, has made history for the club. Unfortunately, they were beaten by Teresa, who are a strong Swedish side. They got beat 3-0 in the end, but I think they've done fantastic to get that far and they were flying the British flag for so long. So unfortunately, they haven't got through to their, their final, but I'm sure you know they'll have a, a fantastic season this year. The FA Cup, for me, I think the, the big game of the FA Cup has to be the Merseyside derby. The fact that Everton beat Champions League Liverpool 2-0, which is sending them through to the FA Cup semi-final. I think a lot of people probably would have wrote off Everton this season. They've lost a lot of players. They've not really brought many players in to replace them. And like I say, I think it's a fantastic result for them. And, and the fact that they're, they're proving a point, aren't they? They're, they're showing that they've got this fantastic team spirit and they've got this great work ethic and they still have quality players. Maybe I'm being a little bit biased because I am a scouser and because I'm a blue as well. But, um, you know, I'm sure they'll do OK this year. Last but not least, WSL2. Got to talk about my team, Doncaster Bells. So far, we've got 100% record in the league, but then so does Sunderland. Um, and I think they're going to be a, a really, really tough opponent for us this year. I think it's going to be a tough season. I think it's one that we we all can't wait to, to carry on and, and see what happens. But again, I think it's going to be just as exciting as, as WSL1. Thank you very much, Sue. And I can actually tell you that we will have some nice jingles made and things she'll have her own jingles soon but um we've just been caught on the hop this week all of us feeling a bit dodgy aren't we i'm in a bit of a sad mood this week but it's it's all right i'll get through We'll, we'll muddle on. Um, so before we go to Twitter topic of the week, let's do topic three. And this is appreciation societies. Maybe hold on to a couple and we'll we'll sp- spread this out and have Twitter topic of the week in the middle. Um, appreciation societies. Now, the whole reason about this is at TalkSport at the weekend, uh, one of my colleagues was telling me that Adam Clayton, who played for Huddersfield, had an appreciation society dedicated to his once flourishing beard. And now I talk about it in the past tense because that beard beard has now gone since this weekend um, he shaved it off following Huddersfield's defeat to Leicester City at the weekend but that's by the by I just like the fact that a footballer has an appreciation society dedicated to him for his facial hair wow he could have sold that on eBay he actually dyed it blue and white at one point as well there's some pictures out there <laughs> I love it when they dye their hair do you remember when they, back in the day when the whole of the League Cup finalists or the FA Cup squad would dye their hair like white or blue or something silly. I liked it when football, would, they didn't care about their image and just went out there looking stupid. Now, you couldn't imagine Olivier Giroud putting blue through his hair. Well, obviously not, probably red, but I don't think he would be doing that. Do you? Well, no, but if someone does do that, then it tends to be for a statement, doesn't it? See, I could see someone like Raheem Sterling, his hair's changing colour slightly. Uh, he could maybe go for a bright red at one point. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. For charity, though, that's when we want it to come out, for charity. So with those in mind, um, we, d- we can keep to the fashion theme, if you like, and hair, or we can go further afield. But I want to know who else has an appreciation society dedicated to them in football. And if you're struggling, then maybe we could come up with a couple that we think should have one and what it should be. Um, so a couple from each of us, and then we'll come back and have a bit more of a chat after we've heard from Sean. So yours first. Well, 
someone who comes into Sky regularly, still involved in football up until recently, was Stoke, Jerry Francis. And his hair, his famous mullet. There is a whole <laughs> Facebook page dedicated to Jerry Francis's hair. And people post regular pictures whenever he's on Sky Sports News. There's a new image up there of his long, I was going to say flowing golden locks, but they're slightly greying locks now. So when people watch... They quite often tweet me saying, oh, my God, when is Jerry going to cut his hair? Come on, he's living in the 80s. I tell you what, his fan site wouldn't be very happy. There are thousands of them. (laughs) Um, What's the first one that I'm going to give you out of mine? I'm going to tell you about a name, funny players' names. And some of them have an appreciation society. One of them being the main one who has a whole Facebook appreciation society, as well as another appreciation society, which admittedly only has 39 members. But hey, they all count. Um, Zimbabwean defender Danger Fourpence. What a name. Everyone loving that name. Danger and Fourpence. Yeah. That's brilliant. We'll come back for more, but first let's hear it from Sean Thorne. What he's got for us is fashion-themed, best and worst-dressed managers. That was the inspiration for this week's Twitter Topic of the Week. Twitter Topic of the Week. See, I've been like the LMA's Gok One this week with Twitter Topic of the Week because we've been asking you guys for your picks for the best-dressed and worst-dressed football managers. Serenino's gone for Joshim Lowe as uh, one of the best-dressed managers in his monochrome crisp white shirt and German-engineered black trousers. And she's also gone for the ever-suited Chris Hewton. Rookery Mike's gone for Beppe Sonino of uh, Watford. Immaculately turned out each week. I remember when Sonino came down to Ashton Gate and he was in full suit and tie, sporting a lovely little pair of black and white Puma Kings as well. For worse dressed, uh, Serenino's gone for Avram Grant with his uh, tracky bees in Dad's Trainers in... Uh, in the Hammers season of Doom. A couple of you have also gone for Paul Tisdale, Chris Lee, Andy Lawrence and David Jolly, who's also attached a photo of uh, of old Tiz looking pretty sharp. Miss Keely Ashes has gone for Tim Sherwood, saying he always uh, dresses pretty smart. Loves rocking a shirt with a jumper, very office casual. Thomas is a uh, highlighted Holloway's uh, ridiculous flat cap, which has got a bit of stick from quite a few uh, angles on the older offside rule pod. And Jared is gone for Jose Mourinho, who's, who's looking a bit like Zach Dingle these days with his body warmer. Cheers to everyone who got in touch with Twitter Topic of the Week this week. I've been Sean Thorne. I'm going to hand you back to the girls. Thank you very much for that, Sean. Any more appreciation societies that you've got there? There's something you wouldn't expect. The first thing I did was type into Google footballer appreciation site stroke society and you'd think David Beckham would come up there, maybe even Freddie Lundberg from the past or some of the better looking footballers that some of these fans, the young girls in particular, like to, you know, fawn over. No, Titus Bramble was the first thing that came up. I can't imagine it is for how he looks off the pitch or even for his skills on the pitch, if you can even call it skill. Very strange. See, I think agents must run an appreciation society page here, there and everywhere. And this one, I think, is genuine. I think it's run by fans. I don't think that he's behind it. Um, The Julio Arca drag back appreciation society. If you love a Julio Arca drag back, then this is the page for you. Get yourself all over that page. Um, It's brilliant. It shows loads and loads of them. And you know what? There are over 800 odd members. What? Yeah, that is. A, I might even go and join myself just to be part of that club. I did click a David Beckham like on my Facebook page oh. this week. It, it asked me which athletes I liked. I thought, yeah, I'll do that yeah. for Haley. Whenever he posts stuff on Facebook, I always like it in the hope that he'll see my name pop up and be like, 
hey, Haley, how's it going? <laughs> but obviously he doesn't run his site and there's about a million people similarly liking the same photographs. Yeah, that isn't going to happen. Any more appreciations? Anybody else that we think should have an appreciation society dedicated to them? So just purely for the fact that if names were allowed, he could win you a lot of points at Scrabble. I think Bastian Schweinsteiger oh, should have one. That's good. Roy Hodgson. I'd go for Roy. I think Roy needs his own appreciation society. And I think maybe now would be a good time after the World Cup when things all go wrong and England, you know, crash out at an oh, early no, stage on penalties. Um, it, it will be closed down. But yeah, I think there isn't enough appreciation for Roy Hodgson and what he's done so far. So I think he deserves a bit of the love. Okay, Uh, we're going to leave appreciation societies there. But if you've got any that you'd like to get to us, then you can tweet at Offside Rule Pod. That's exactly how you interact and take part in Twitter topic of the week as well. Uh, We've got a website, OffsideRulePodcast.com. And Kate Borsay might not be here, but she'd be asking me to give that a plug. New blogs galore. Uh, Before we love and leave you, we have got a Bundesliga roundup. Exciting times for Kate Partridge to be reporting on all things German football. Hi all. Let's start with a question. Can you win a league title too early? Way back on March the 26th, Bayern beat Hertha Berlin 3-1 at the Olympic Stadium to keep their Bundesliga crown with a record seven games to go. Stage one of retaining a unique treble had been crisply completed by debutant coach Pep Guardiola. But then the wheels came off the juggernaut. Bayern's 53-game unbeaten run ended with a shock defeat at Augsburg. And then the champs looked set for a third loss in four matches before twice coming from behind to win 5-2 at home to Werder Bremen. Few Nine. Munich's slump was ruthlessly exploited by Real Madrid, who booted the holders out of the Champions League with a 5-0 aggregate semi-final humiliation at the Allianz. Alfie Zane treble and the board will have a pep talk about progress. At the other end, with two games to go, seven points separate the bottom four. The last two go down automatically. The third goes into a playoff. Currently, that's Hamburg, the only top-flight team never to have tasted relegation. But the former European champions next host Bayern and need to win both their final games to guarantee at least the playoffs, while rock-bottom Braunschweig and second-bottom Nürnberg also eye a shot at this last-chance saloon. Among the Euro contenders, Dortmund confirmed second place after twice coming from behind to draw 2-2 at Leverkusen, who are fourth. Third place, Schalke lost 1-0 at home to Mönchengladbach, who are sixth and still in with a chance of the Champions League, along with fifth place, Wolfsburg. Mainz a seventh and in the last Europa League spot, with Augsburg ready to pounce on any slip-ups. So, two games to go, Europe or bust, and the German Cup final at the Olympic Stadium between Dortmund and Bayern, last year's Champions League finalists. How both would have loved a repeat in Lisbon. Thank you very much for that, Kate. So just from myself, Lindsay Hooper and... Me, Helly McQueen, goodbye. Goodbye. It was the two of us this week. We'll be back to three next week. Bye for now. The Female Take on Football.